Well, as a as, as you noticed, we're embarking on a season of Advent, and you know, Advent isn't something that just popped up two days ago. It actually started in the fifth century, and it's something that, um, that followers of Christ have been doing now for hundreds of years. And at Christ Center, one of the things that we, that we engage in doing is, is fulfilling that scripture where Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a wise man that took out of his storehouse things new and old. Now, I want to tell you something that's very cool about the treasures, these treasures new and old coming out of the storehouse, is that the treasures old, they do a couple things that, that, that are so appropriate for us that we would also still embrace these rhythms, that we wouldn't decide like, oh, that's old, it's not a treasure anymore, but that we embrace the rhythms of what God has done, of what believers and followers of Christ have, have, have done. And, it, and, it, and you know what it does? It, it, it does a couple things. It empowers us because we recognize that, you know what, it's not just all about what we're feeling in this moment. It protects us from chronological snobbery. How about that? That sounds snobby just saying it. Chronological snobbery. We don't want to be those, 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 those CSs. We want to realize that we're a link in the chain of God's story. We did, it didn't begin with us, and it's not going to end with us, but we're an important part of that story. And that's why we embrace some of these traditions. It's, it's not because we want to enter into some kind of religiosity or become just simply the traditions of men. No, this is, these are the traditions of followers of Christ. This is part of the love story, and there's a richness, isn't there? And it empowers us because we also realize there's a momentum of heaven, that God is doing something. We didn't just show up and be like, boy, I hope this works out. No, we are a local church that's part of the church. The banners flying, the, the enemy shuddering as he sees the momentum of heaven as the church is coming, rushing towards God, the bride of Christ, as God is rushing towards us and we're establishing the kingdom. That's what treasures old looks like. That's why we do things like read scriptures and light a candle. That we can take time to meditate on the reality and the, and the beauty and the pageantry and the longevity of what God has been doing. Isn't that good? We also embrace treasures new and we express those in the unfolding glory and goodness of extending his kingdom in this day. And we do that in so many ways. Through art, through revelation, through transformation of culture, from darkness to light, from ignorance to wisdom. Come on, can I get an amen? From hatred and apathy to love. And we do this through our marketplace life with ethical business practices and generosity and time and planning and collaboration and establishing shalom in our cities, just to name a few. But as we're embracing this time, as we're embracing this moment, let's not rush through it. Let's not just consider it something that we would just, just, just you know, let's get to the next thing. What, what am I going to eat after this sermon is over? No, let's take it. Let's drink it in. Let's remember that we're drinking from the living waters of Jesus Christ. That we're partaking in the unfolding of God's glory as his kingdom truly does come and his will is being done. Let's meditate on the reality of what we're a part of and the one who sent us and is with us and will come for us in that day. So this Advent, let's turn to the subject of hope. Amen? Hope begins eventually. There it is. Come on, baby. Mommy. <laughs> all right, I'm having issues. Here it goes. Nope. Any minute now. It's all in slow motion. I don't know, it's in rebellion. 
Hope begins with Israel in captivity. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. It begins, this time of hope begins with captivity. This time of calling out for hope is who will ransom captive Israel? Who will come and take them out of this darkness, out of this languishing? And so, so, so there's this call, there's this desire to see hope come. And yet when hope comes, the interesting thing is, when hope comes, and hope has a name, doesn't it? Jesus. And when hope came to Israel, when Christ came to Israel, there were many that did not recognize him. They had a lot of different expectations as to what hope would look like. And Jesus didn't fit any of those expectations, did he? They wanted a warrior king leading with unstoppable power, destroying their oppressors and changing the landscape of their circumstances. And what they received was a little baby born in a barn. Can Harrisburg say, what's up? <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I saw Tom and he lives in Harrisburg and I just, I'm sorry, Tom. It's, you, you brought that out of me. <laughs> When he grew to be a man, he was seen by many as just a guy from a hick town called Cedarville. I mean, Nazareth. Cedarville's where I was born. A teacher from a small town that no one respected. A man of sorrows who declared... <laughs> I just went back to the Harrisburg thing again. Okay. A man of sorrows who declared we are to love our enemies and pray for those who spitefully use us. So I want to suggest that in the same way that when Israel's savior came, when hope came, and they didn't recognize him because they had a certain picture of what hope was supposed to look like, I suggest that in this day, we have that same propensity to desire hope according to the same criteria. A quick change in circumstances and unstoppable power. We want hope to come and change our circumstances and show power that we're on God's side. He's with us. We relish the idea of being in charge and in control of our lives. Is this true? Come on. Yet Christ was different than this. His leadership was so profound and his words carried such weight that the powers of darkness were threatened to the point of violence. And yet Jesus, think about this, yet Jesus, who had all power and ability to control, did not lead with these things. Instead, he came with humility and grace and showed us a different way. Jesus, 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 Jesus showed us the power of hope by putting on weakness. Jesus showed us the power of hope by putting on weakness. He showed us what is available when our hope is in the character and goodness of our Father rather than in our own strength ability, circumstance, or control. Did you catch that? Jesus showed us hope by putting on weakness, by stripping off his power and control as the creator of all things, laid those things down and showed us what's possible through weakness. Jesus, when he was here, he said this, I can do nothing 
but what I see my father doing. And apart from him, I can do nothing. How many of you guys know that Jesus told us when he left, as I am, now so are you. Now I want you to think about that for a minute because Jesus used weakness to ransom the whole world. In fact, in his weakness, he ransomed not only captive Israel, but you and me. And he didn't do it through the things that we would think of when we hope for something. We hope that we'll get to be in charge so things will go well. Is this true? We hope that circumstances will change so that we'll feel better. Is that true? But Jesus came and showed us that hope is actually realized in weakness, a full reliance upon hoping not just in an immediate circumstance change or the grabbing of power, but Jesus showed that his hope was in the Father's will being done. And in demonstrating that, he did the impossible, the unthinkable, and ransomed every tongue, tribe, and nation. And we're included in that. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. You see, we're invited into this same unusual strategy. When we are weak, our Father is strong. Our hope isn't in our ability or our status or our gender or our race or our social standing or our strength or our intellect or our political party. Can I get an amen? our strategies, our financial situation, or our current circumstance. No, our hope is in him. You see, this is a very different thing, isn't it? Suddenly I go, wait a minute, my hope in overcoming, my hope in all things is actually in the king of kings. Let me show you a couple of scriptures here. And what I want you to catch here, I want you to, I want you to say it right now. I want you to say this. We're gonna, I'm going to have you preempt a little bit. I want you to say, I am weak. Thank you for being honest. I was going to have to tell you that later, but you've already admitted it. And I want to tell you it's actually a good place to be. It's actually a good place to be, and you're going to see why. In Romans 5, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, the first thing I want to point out to you that's, that, 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 that we have to get is it says this. It says, we, by faith, we have accessed this grace in which we now stand. How many of you guys know that if you've already got control and you've already got the right circumstances, you don't need grace? Because grace is for people who are weak. Grace is for people who aren't able to do that thing. Grace fills in where things are impossible. And our access to hope, our access to God is because of his grace. Are you guys with me? And we boast, there's that word again, in the hope of the glory of God. So our boast is not in control. Our boast is not in our strength. Our boast is not in any of that list I just read you a moment ago, our ability, our social standing, our financial situation, our, our circumstances. It's not in any of that. Our, the thing we're boasting in 
is the hope that's in the glory of God. You guys with me? Now let me continue. Not only so, but we also glory. This is crazy, right? So, so this is where it gets real. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus came and it says that he, though he was equal with God, he did not see equality with God something to be grasped or gained but rather he humbled himself and became a man just like us. He became a servant. And through that, he saved us. The scriptures also say something that's kind of hard for us to hear, and it's, it's this. It says that Christ learned obedience through what he enjoyed. It's one of my favorite scriptures. You guys familiar with it? I tore out the real scripture and wrote that one in. It actually says Christ learned obedience through what he suffered. And here's that theme again, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. This, is, this really flies in the face of a lot of what, of what we are used to here because we're blessed, guys. We have some problems of success here. And, and, I, and we can glorify God. We can thank him that we live in a beautiful nation, that we experience freedom like no other nation, that we experience a level of wealth that is unprecedented in the history of the world. That, that, that these are all beautiful things. These are all symptoms of the kingdom of heaven uh, extending itself out. And everywhere the kingdom goes, all of society rises, right? The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. And where it goes, what is it? It gets mixed in. What does yeast do? Everything rises. So even people that don't know Jesus start having a better level of life. And we're experiencing that here in America. We have a beautiful experience. And the truth is, we don't have the same kind of suffering that happens in a lot of other places in the world. So when we read scriptures like these, they're kind of, how many of you guys love this scripture? Yeah, I don't either. I know a couple of you. Well, good for you. You are way more spiritual than me. I skip over this one. We glory in our sufferings. This is not my favorite scripture to get to, and yet there's a key here that Christ is calling us to, to begin to embrace actually our sufferings, to embrace those places of weakness where we do not have the circumstances that we want, and we do not have the control that we desire, but rather we are suffering because we are weak in that place. Do you hear me? And he's saying, in fact, we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. In other translations, it says, hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Guys, our hope is in the Father. Our hope is in the goodness and character of our Father who in Christ has already redeemed all things. And when Christ comes at the end of this great and glorious time that we're in, where he's looking to save all of the world and anyone that would change out of his kindness. He's making more room and more time for more of his kingdom to come to the earth so that more of his children can be reconciled to him. Every single one that would, will. And in the fullness of time, he's gonna redeem it all. But in this meantime, we are invited to actually embrace our weaknesses that God would be glorified. Did you hear that? Our hope is in his ability. Our hope is not in our own. 
Now, this is a hard one for us. Because as I said, we live in a nation that, that, that has been empowered in so many ways. And we're, and we're used to leaning, honestly, on our own strength, capability, and control. And we seek to carve that out, don't we? But God shows a different way. And in fact, when we begin to learn to embrace our weaknesses and let him be strong in those places, the impossible becomes possible. God's kingdom extends in ways that we would never have dared to believe could happen because we have stopped being limited now by what we can be strong at and suddenly now we have impossible situations, limitless capabilities because our hope's not in what we can accomplish but in what he can accomplish. Do you see that? Let me give you an example of this. I'm gonna come back to this scripture. I wanna read you a poem that I, that I just read recently. Um, I, I just came back, I got to spend some time with Patty and, and Steve and, and, um, and we went to Movement Day in Washington DC and I'll get to talk with you in the future about some of the great things that God's doing all over the earth. But suffice it to say, the kingdom is alive and well and it is extending with glory across the face of the globe just like the Father said it would. And it is exciting, more to come. But while we were there, we went to the, um, we went to the National Museum of African American um, History and Culture. And it sits there and, and, and you, over, you look to the right and there's the Washington Monument it's there in the center of our nation's capital. And we went in and, we, and we, it just opened in 2016 and we went in and as I was there looking at this part, this, this, uh, it begins with a dark, dark part of our own history, which is slavery. And our nation as a part of our history was founded on the backs of slaves. They're, they're intrinsic to how this nation was birthed. And it's, 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 it's horrifying. It's a horrifying part of our history, but it's a true part of our history. And until recently, um, the effects of that, well, the effects of that are still felt to this day, but it's really only been in recent years that we've started to see that conspiracy of the enemy begin to lose its grip on this nation and that there could truly be reconciliation. But as I'm there in this, in this, in this museum, there's a point where you come up from the basement. It begins in the basement and you walk around this huge museum. We were there for four hours and it was just barely enough time to get through it. And you begin with the beginnings of slavery coming out of Africa into America. And then you, as you come up floor by floor, you come out of the basement and then it builds into then the forming of culture and how uh, African-American culture has shaped culture all over the world, but specifically in America. And uh, so it's this beautiful like ascent out of slavery into freedom, into actually being culture shapers, of course. And uh, it's just, I wanna encourage everyone, you've gotta go. You've gotta go at some point. I wanna say this, coming out of that, uh, that moment, I was profoundly affected by um, not, not that I could ever say, oh, I understand, because who can truly understand? But I would say this, I feel that I understand more than I've ever understood before. And as you're there and you're experiencing this, you, there's a room that's there and it says, please come into this room and take a moment to contemplate what you've just seen. And in that room, 
It's, uh, it's uh, surrounded by granite walls, and there's a circular waterfall in the center, and you can sit on a bench. And written on one wall is the quote from uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., where he says, and then freedom will come down like rain, and we will sing that great spiritual, free at last, free at last, free at last. And on another wall was a verse from a poem written by Francis Helen Watkins in 1858. This poem was written seven years before slavery was abolished, and I want to read it to you. The last line from the poem is written on the wall. This is a woman who spoke something in hope before it was even seen. Bury me in a free land and make me a grave wherever you will in a lowly plain or a lofty hill. Make it among earth's humblest graves, but not in a land where men are slaves. I could not rest if around my grave I heard the steps of a trembling slave. His shadow above my silent tomb would make it a place of fearful gloom. I could not rest if I heard the tread of a coffle gang to the shambles led and the mother's shriek of wild despair rise like a curse on the trembling air. I could not sleep if I saw the lash drinking her blood at each fearful gash and I saw her babes torn from her breast like trembling doves from their parent nest. I'd shudder and start if I heard the bay of bloodhounds seizing their human prey and I heard the captive plead in vain as they bound afresh his galling chain. If I saw young girls from their mother's arms bartered and sold for their youthful charms my eye would flash with a mournful flame, my death-paled cheek grow red with shame. I would sleep, dear friends, where bloated might can rob no man of his dearest right. My rest shall be calm in any grave where none can call his brother a slave. I ask no monument, proud and high, to arrest the gaze of the passers-by. All that my yearning spirit craves is bury me not in a land of slaves. Seven years after she wrote this, slavery was abolished. And yet the Lucifer-breathed sin of racism continued its Satan-inspired curse through Jim Crow laws until it was abolished in 1964, 99 years after Francis wrote these hope-filled words. Now this last verse of her poem is etched in granite, and her words grace the wall in a room for reflection located in this museum I spoke of. It was opened in 2016 in the center of our nation's capital, no longer a land of slaves. Come on. Yeah, I think that's worth... Thank you, Jesus. Francis had declared prophetically that there would be a day when our land would no longer languish in the captivity of slavery and racism. 158 years later, her words are still echoing hope. Yet in her day, she was not speaking of things that were. She was speaking of things that were not. Francis was a poet and a sewing teacher in Ohio. She did not begin to speak from a place of strength or acclaim. She spoke from the place that she was in. And in her willingness to speak, even in weakness, God was strong. She's an encouragement to each of us. We're carrying Christ in us, the hope of glory. We carry hope. 
We embrace our weakness because in our weakness, he is strong. Listen to this. If it takes being strong to carry hope, then we are all lost, for we are all weak. But that's not the message that we carry, is it? You see, the message that we carry is Christ. And because we carry the message and the hope of Christ, we are able to embrace our weakness. A hope that's carried only by the strong offers no hope for those that are weak. And if our message is, come and follow Christ so that you can have the right way and the right thoughts and finally be strong, we have no message because weak people inherently know and we ourselves deep down know that's no hope at all. I've spent most of my life trying to perfect myself. I really have. I just got to figure out a better strategy, a better book to read, a better way to sing, more anointing. If you're in supernatural uh, circles, uh, somebody needs to just give you like their mantle. I need your mantle. Mine's not working. Pray for me. Lay hands on me. I need to hang out with the most anointed teachers. I need to be with the right people. And all of those things are of value. There are mantles. There are anointings. And there's also the giving of gifts through the laying on of hands. It's all scriptural and it's all biblical. But I will tell you this. You will never come to a point where you no longer need the grace and the hope of God that's found only in his strength because it is in your weakness that he is, that he is strong. Do you see that? I want to go back to this scripture. Uh, Paul had this same experience. He had seen amazing things in the kingdom of heaven. And as you know, he was afflicted with a thorn in his flesh and he asked the Lord, would you remove this from me? And the Lord answered this way, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, and therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. How many of you have been delighting in weaknesses this week? Not one. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just started this sermon this week too, so I also, until recently, was not. But we have a... We have an invitation. Was that too honest? <laughs> You're like, you haven't even tried this yet? I've been trying it a couple of days. It's working great. <laughs> it got me up here, didn't it? <laughs> Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Think about Francis. This woman spoke a prophetic word that resonates to this day. And what did she do? She just responded from the place that she was. And then she continued. I'll tell you something else. She also was part of the Christian temperance movement, which was a huge part of women's suffrage. How many of you ladies like voting? right? That just happened recently. You want to talk about languishing in captivity. God has been moving because people spoke to the things that were not as though they were, and now they are. Why? Because they had hope. Did they have power? No, they didn't have a vote. Did they have circumstances that worked? No. What did they have? A hope in the strength of God. And it caused them to say, though I may be weak, he is strong. Though I may right now be suffering, I will one day not be suffering. 
And even if I don't see it with my own eyes, my daughters will vote. And you know what? It happened. There was a, and we're, we're just now getting to the point too where we even have an understanding where as a people we would even be able to embrace, you know, you look about, I was talking about African American history, that's been a hard one for us because on, we don't even know how to deal with that. You look, at, you look at what God is doing to heal and reconcile nations, it takes an actual work of God. Why? Because it's a mess. Because everybody's guilty. But with God, suddenly then we can, we can begin to see things happen like when Dr. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream that our children will play together. We're just now starting to see a lot of that, aren't we? It's incredible, isn't it? Was it because people had power? Was it because the circumstances were working out? No! It was because in our weakness, we called upon the one who has strength, and he changed the face of our nation. And he's still doing it. And the invitation for you and I, these are just a couple of examples, but the invitation for you and I is to begin to delight in our weaknesses. Christianity is not a self-help program, although yourself will get helped. Christianity is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to tell you something. This is a temporary life that we live that has eternal significance. This is the first part of the rest of your life. You don't only live once. You are an eternal, born-again believer. You live twice. And the second time is forever. That's way better than YOLO. It's way, it is. And because of that, you can begin to transition from the way that you used to think to a new way. And you do it by embracing your weaknesses. And I'm going to tell you why this is important. Because then suddenly you have a hope that's in something more than just what's going on today. Because when you begin to understand my life is temporary, yet has eternal significance, then my hope is no longer just focused on control and circumstance. My hope is focused on the King of kings and the Lord of lords and his glory and that he's going to redeem all things. Suddenly then, if I fall down, I know he's going to pick me up. If I fail, I know he's going to succeed. If I die, I know he's going to raise me again. And so suddenly, it, it gives me license to do things that I otherwise wouldn't do because I didn't have hope. Do you see that? It's like panning out and getting the bigger picture. When we pan out and get the bigger picture by hoping in Christ instead of my own ability and circumstance and strength, then suddenly I go, well, shoot. I mean, I'm just a living stone and I'm paving the way for glory. He can spend me however he wants. He can put me wherever he wants, but I know this, I know my life will move the needle. I know my life will be a part of seeing a time when things aren't like they are right now. If I die doing it, that's fine by me. I was going to die anyway. You need to be able to say that. So let me do this. Let me say this. I want to say this on your behalf. I want you to own it. Therefore, I embrace my weakness knowing that my hope is in his strength. I don't lose hope. I take bigger risks because even if I lose this battle, he wins every battle. If I fail, he picks me up. His love never fails. And when I die, he raises me up again. 
Hope strengthens me. Hope carries me. Hope reminds me. Hope guides me. Hope always points me towards Christ and his kingdom. Hope never disappoints me. Hope always allows me to cry tears of sorrow today because hope has an eye towards victory tomorrow. You see, you can be, you're allowed to cry if you have hope because you'll recover. If you don't have hope, you just got to pretend like you're not sad. I am really good at this. By the way, if you want some help in a failed practice, come see me about that one. Hope never leaves me. Whatever it is that you've been putting your hope in that is not Christ, trade it in for true hope. Whatever it is, whatever you've been leaning on that you've had hope in, whether it's anointing, whether it's ability, whether it's whatever it is, trade it in and embrace the fact that it's in your weakness that he's made, he's made strong. It's in your weakness that he comes through. You're not telling a story about your ability. You're telling a story about his. Take bigger risks because your hope is in him. Measure not what's possible because of your ability or your holiness or your righteousness, but rather his. Receive the hope that's available in him in the midst of of your weakness. By the way, it's a lot more positive and fun to look at him than it is to look within and just spend all your time thinking about how weak you are. It's just a lot better day. I want you guys to stand up. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment if you would and just ask the Holy Spirit to search you. David said, search me, O Lord, and show me if there's any wicked way within me. I would say in that same spirit, let's say, search me, O Lord, and show me if there's any place within me where my confidence is in something other than you. This isn't about feeling bad about yourself. This is just about having confidence in the right things. And as Holy Spirit begins to bring those things up, it might be your ability to work hard. It might be your fantastic discipline in getting up every day and reading the Bible. It, it, most of the things that are gonna come up are gonna be things that are actually morally neutral, but you've begun to put your hope in that and your ability to do that rather than your hope in what God is doing through you, for you, to you, and with you. As Holy Spirit's bringing that up, just repent of that. Lord, I, I, just, I just repent of making this thing what it's all about. Lord, I, I delight in my own weakness. You love me. You know my frame that I am but dust. And you love me. Be glorified, Lord, in my weaknesses. Be glorified that your strength works for everybody, including me. And we thank you, God. Amen.